Okay, so this week we're continuing with the series on God's story. And in the last couple of weeks, we've seen that God is the great author of creation. This is a carefully organised creation with God naming all things and giving them specific roles. The pinnacle of God's creation is human beings who have a special relationship with God. They are created to love and serve God, their maker and their king. But only three chapters in, it all goes terribly wrong. We find Adam and Eve begin living in perfect relationship in the Garden of Eden until Eve is persuaded by the serpent to eat an apple. And she shares this with Adam. This is the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, the only tree in the garden from which God has forbidden Adam and Eve to eat. This act of disobedience is a rejection of God that breaks the harmonious relationships established, not only between human beings and God, but between human beings themselves and human beings and God's creation. This act brings death into the world. So what do you think of the story so far? It's, it's not going so well, really. Um, last week's episode is maybe a bit depressing after hearing about the marvel of creation the week before. Charlie mentioned that really the story, this was last week, Charlie mentioned really the story could have ended there, but it doesn't. God has a plan. From here, this becomes one of these stories that really draws you in. It becomes like a book that's harder and harder to put down. It has everything. It has epic battles, heroes and villains. It's a story of unfathomable love that speaks to your heart as you read, if you're open to that. And it's personal. This is God's story as written by him. But this story is also our story. The rest of the story is concerned with God's plan to reverse the effects of the fall and to redeem humankind and the world. And this is where we pick up today, with God's plan for our redemption. So Adam and Eve haven't just brought death into the world through their actions. Their act of disobedience to God begins a cycle. And it continues through the Old Testament. We see people sin. We see judgment by God and then grace. And it just keeps going. Early on we see events like the flood and the Tower of Babel and people continue to reject God. The sin of the world results in great acts of judgment. But God's commitment to his creation is unwavering. His grace is shown in the small remnant of faithful followers that are saved. And yet people continue to sin and the cycle is perpetuated. God does not leave us in our rejection of him, though. He does something quite astonishing. He comes into this world here with us among our messy, chaotic lives, and he dies a horrific death on the cross. He takes on the burden of our sin, both yours and mine, as well as that of every generation before us and those yet to come. He does this to rescue all of us from sin and death. We are redeemed 
through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' blood was the price for our redemption. Let's just reflect for a moment on the magnitude of that sacrifice. Jesus' blood was the price of our redemption. God has been redeeming his people throughout this whole story. The first big redemption, if you like, was that of God's people from Egypt in the book of Exodus. It's a familiar story for many of us, but parts of it are important to today's message. So here's a quick recap on the Passover in particular. In Genesis chapter 12, God makes three promises to his faithful follower, Abraham. He promises Abraham a huge family that will grow into a nation. He promises land for the nation And he promises that not only would this nation be blessed, but that all nations of the world would be blessed through Abraham's descendants. These promises were the first of several covenants or agreements that God made with his people. The promised nation grew and eventually became enslaved in Egypt. The Egyptians treated the Israelites harshly and they cried out to God for help. They needed to be rescued. They needed to be redeemed. In Exodus 6.6, God promises deliverance for the Israelites and says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And so God worked through Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery by bringing ten plagues upon Egypt. Pharaoh finally let them go after the last, the plague of the firstborn son. To rescue his people, God was going to take the life of every firstborn human son and animal in the land. This would affect every household in the nation, both Egyptian and Israelites. The Lord acknowledges the grief that this will cause across Egypt. In Exodus 11, he says, There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. We tend to focus on God as a gracious, loving, compassionate God. We sort of remember most, well, I do anyway, the warm, fuzzy part of God. But this play is a good reminder that even with the great love that God has for us, he cannot tolerate any sin whatsoever, that he cannot leave sin unpunished. And the sin is the rejection of God by Pharaoh and people. It also shows how severe his judgment can be. It confirms that sin leads to death and that without God's grace we would not survive. It shows us just how valuable it is to be rescued from sin and redeemed by God. And this is what Jesus has done for us. In Exodus 12, verses 1 to 11, God gives Moses and the Israelites very clear instructions on how they are to be redeemed. Every household is to take a year-old male lamb without defect. It needs to be the best lamb that they can offer, spotless, perfect. On a set date, they are to slaughter the lamb and mark their doorposts with its blood. 
And that night, God took the lives of the firstborn sons of Egypt, but he passed over the homes of the Israelites. God orders the Israelites to remember this night every year with a meal, the Passover meal. So now we skip forward about 1,500 years to the New Testament, and we're moving into a new phase of God's story. Today's passage from the Gospel of Mark shows us shows Jesus now giving the disciples very clear instructions for the Passover meal. In verses 12 and 13, the disciples ask Jesus where he wants them to prepare the meal. Jesus says, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And then there's some more instructions about an upstairs room and things. We need to remember here that people came from far and wide to celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Jerusalem. The city would have been incredibly busy at this time, with people everywhere. And Jesus tells the disciples, a man with a jar of water will meet you. He doesn't give a name or an address. He doesn't give a description other than this man will have a jar of water or anything that would make him stand out from the crowd. I wonder if the disciples maybe scratched their heads a little bit and thought, my, how are we going to find him? We started, or our reading started at verse 12 of Mark 14 today, but if we go back and just look before in verses 1 to 11, we can see why it is that Jesus might have been so specific in his direction, but at the same time so vague. In verses 1 and 2, we see the religious leaders are plotting to arrest Jesus and kill him. In verse 10, Judas goes to the religious leaders and offers to give Jesus up. Now, as always, Jesus is completely in control of events and he knows how this story is going to end. He also knows that he has something important to say at the Passover meal and he doesn't want any interruptions to that. So it's possible that maybe he's just given that little bit of information so that they can have that meal before he's betrayed. Then during the meal, in verse 17, Jesus drops the bombshell. I tell you the truth, he says, one of you will betray me one who is eating with me. The disciples are, well, we saw, they're saddened, they're shocked, surprised, and they ask, surely not I, even Judas. Jesus reveals that it is indeed one of the twelve. In verse 21, Jesus says, The Son of Man will go, just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. So Jesus here is affirming that the betrayal is a necessary part of God's plan, but that Judas remains responsible for what he does. All of God's story so far has been leading to this point. Charlie mentioned last week that some see it as early as the fall in Genesis 3.15 when God passes judgment on the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
Some characterise the serpent as Satan and that striking the heel refers to the death of Jesus. The crushing of the head is a reference to the, the victory with Jesus' resurrection. Later on, Isaiah 53.5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. This verse from the Old Testament very clearly points to Jesus' crucifixion. But back to Mark 14. Jesus now explains the significance of the bread and wine, not in terms of the exodus from Egypt they are celebrating, but in terms of his own death. He is reinterpreting the Passover. In verses 22 and 23, Jesus breaks bread, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he shares the wine with the disciples, saying, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. The phrases, my body and my blood poured out, speak of the death of Jesus, the offering of his whole person, his body, as a sacrifice. His blood being poured out for many is referenced in Isaiah 53.12 and says, He poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. In Mark 10.45, the notion of a ransom is added to the many when Jesus says, the Son of Man came to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus' death will be in the place of many and it will benefit many. It will be, as in the exodus from Egypt, the redemption of God's people. Jesus is giving himself as the ransom for all of us and we remember this each week with communion. In another reference back to the Passover, the lamb was a sacrifice, a substitute for the person who would have died in the plague. From this time on, the Israelites clearly understand that for them to be spared from death, an innocent life had to be sacrificed in their place. The blood of the sacrificed animal brought forgiveness. Jesus is our Passover lamb, without defect in that he has led a sinless life of total obedience to God. In verse 24, Jesus references a new covenant with God's people associated with the forgiveness of sin. This is referred to in Jeremiah 31, verses 33 and 34, where God says that he will put his law into the minds of his people and write it on their hearts. The Lord says, I will be their God and they will be my people, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. This is a big change from the sacrifice. Today's passage finishes with Jesus and the disciples going out to the Mount of Olives, and we all know what happens from there. Jesus is arrested, he's tried, sentenced, and then crucified. The disciples are devastated, left without hope and wondering what next. 
This is another point where God's story could end. The leaders of the religious leaders of the time had certainly expected that this would be the case. But as believers, our hope is in this tragic end to Jesus' life. The Passover in Egypt and the Passover meal point forward to a perfect redemption through the offering of Jesus' body and blood. Jesus' death for us on the cross seals a new covenant between God and people. The old covenant involved forgiveness of sins through the blood of an animal sacrifice. But instead of a spotless lamb on the altar, Jesus offered himself, the spotless lamb of God, as a sacrifice to forgive sin once and for all. Jesus was the final sacrifice for his sins and his blood has sealed that new agreement between God and us. We have a new regenerated life right now through his spirit and we have eternal life through Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' blood has paid the price for our redemption. Now all of us can come to God through Jesus in full confidence that God will hear us and save us from our sins. That is the best news ever. So how should we respond to this? The answer is way back at the beginning of the story. If we go back to creation and the reason that God created humankind... It was to live in relationship with him, to love and serve God, our maker and our king. As we gather for communion this morning and every other week, let's not just remember God's story, but truly engage with it. Make Jesus' death and what it means personal. Really feel the pain of his sacrifice and the overwhelming joy of the redemption that he has won. There will never be a better story than this, and it is our story as well. But the story is not over yet, so don't miss the final instalment with Trevor next week. Thank you.